All right. <clears throat> well, take your Bible tonight and go to Psalm chapter 93. Psalm 93. And let's have a word of prayer and then we will get into this this evening. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your blessings on us tonight. And again, I pray, Lord, that that song will be heartfelt as we sing it, think on it. Beautiful song, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, as we sang a minute ago, help us to trust you. And Lord, uh, we thank you for this time together tonight. We pray that you'll use the message tonight, Lord, that uh, you'll work in this small little psalm uh, in your Bible, that God... You would show us the things that you would have us to see tonight. Lord, we think of the requests that were mentioned this evening. Uh, Lord, thank you for Malcolm and his progress, <clears throat> the answered prayers, uh, Lord, in their lives. But now, Lord, we lift up to you this blood clot issue, and you know what all is going on there. You're the great physician, and we lift that to you tonight and pray that, Lord, you put your hand upon him and help the doctors, Lord, to know the proper medications and how to work all of that out. And God, we just lift them up to you tonight and pray for them this evening. And uh, Lord, for this one who Marion mentioned tonight, who in need, God, we pray. Maybe there's something that you would put on our hearts that we could share with Marion to help this one out. Uh, but Lord, we, you know who that is, and we lift that one up to you and pray for them. Pray that you would work in their life and in the life of their family. And I uh, thank you for Marion and her concern. And God, we just lift that situation up to you tonight. <clears throat> Lord, we think of a Jonathan and Amanda, and Lord, we're excited about the new little lives, and Lord, we just pray that all would go safely and according to uh, your plan with the delivery of these babies, and God, we lift them up to you, and Lord, the others in our church and that we know of who are, who are with child, and, and Lord, what a miracle of life that you have done, and Lord, we just thank you for these things, and we pray especially tonight for them as they are nearing the due date. And then, Lord, for um, this Esther, Lord, in China, has been mentioned tonight. Lord, we pray for her. We pray for her safety. We pray, Lord, that you'd put a special hedge of protection about her. Uh, she's in a very volatile place for Christians. And Lord, we just <coughs> thank you for the work that you're doing around the world. And uh, But, Lord, pray, we pray that you will be with those, our brothers and sisters in Christ there in China. And especially, Lord, tonight, we lift her up to you. Uh, even as we pray, we pray you give her wisdom peace, and, um, and protection, Lord, there in China. Again, God, be with us tonight, we pray, as we look into this psalm. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to do a, I have a little message tonight in Psalm chapter 93. And um, Dad and I have been talking about uh, where to go after our series in Acts. Um, and should we do another series, or how should we do this? And and I am going to begin another series, uh, Lord willing, maybe next Sunday night, uh, or maybe in a couple of weeks. And uh, we're going to do a series in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, uh, and go right through that Gospel from, from the start to finish. It's the smallest Gospel in the, in the four, and I'm excited about it. I, I don't know if you've, if you've ever done any teaching, preaching, and you begin a new thing, uh, start a new series, um, it's exciting uh, to get into it, and I'm excited to share with you what God would, gives to me as we study it. 
But again, we'll begin that uh, maybe next week and maybe in a couple of weeks um, on the next Sunday night probably. But tonight, Psalm chapter 93. Let's read through this psalm. There's only five verses. And then let's see what God would show us out of this psalm tonight. Psalm 93, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. Tonight I want to talk about the subject of perspective. <clears throat> perspective. A perspective. What, what does that word mean? We know, what it, we know what it means in actuality, but a particular attitude toward or a way of regarding something. A point of view, a way of looking at something. I thought of, a, of an illustration of this illustration. Many years ago, people in this world thought that the sun revolved around the earth. Right? They thought that for a good reason. <clears throat> Why? It sure looks like that from here, doesn't it? Um, the perspective that mankind had for many, many, many years was that the earth was sitting still. Of course, right? Look around. We're sitting still. And around the earth went the sun and the moon and the star. And then come to find out, many, many years later, as men began to discover and research and, and science, found out that why we were wrong. Our perspective was wrong. And you know, as we discover these things, we find out more of the glory of God, don't we? We find out that we're pretty little peons. <laughs> we don't know much that we think we know. You know, even in those days when it was being discovered about these things, the, the rotations of the planets, you know, many of God's people were upset because of the discoveries being made. Because it was just ingrained. It was things that, that, that God's people had always thought. And even had scriptures many times to back up. They thought they did. But their perspective was all wrong. And they had to realize that we're wrong. You know, sometimes we, we, are, we have to remember that we may not have everything, every T, every I dotted, just like it's supposed to be. God, we still have room to grow, amen? We still have things to learn. And God wants to teach us that we have to have an open spirit, an open mind, an open heart for God to teach us what he wants us to see and show us. So perspective is an important thing. As we began to learn more, as science progressed, and, and by the way, science progressed because the gospel progressed, and God gave us these answers, we began to realize, oh, wait a minute, we're the ones moving. How about that? The sun's standing still. We're revolving around the sun, and every school child has to learn that same lesson because every day they see that sun coming up and going down. But that's not how it actually is in reality. Perspective is important. In our passage here, it helps us to gain the right perspective of God and of our lives and of what's going on around us. 
God is constant. God never changes. God is always the same, as we sang this morning. Jesus never changes. He's always the same. But our perspective can sure change, can it? God's attributes always remain the same. God is kind, and He's always kind. God is just, and He's always just. And He's love, and He's holy, and He's almighty. And those things don't ever change. He's immutable. That's what the word immutable means. Without change. Not capable or susceptible to change. But sometimes our perspective of these do change. God is always the same. But sometimes, as it says in our passage, He clothes Himself with majesty. Now, He's always majestic. But sometimes He puts on strength. He's always strong. But sometimes to us, He shows and He bears His mighty arm. Isn't that true? Sometimes we see God at work and sometimes all of a sudden we hear of revivals. We hear of things going on. Someone trusts Christ as Savior and we say, God is on the move. God is on the move. We've seen that throughout history, throughout biblical history, where God was quiet for a good long while. And then all of a sudden someone appears on the scene and God is on the move. And he makes bare his mighty arm and he puts on strength and he puts on majesty. In our perspective, we begin to see God at work. It doesn't mean he hasn't always been on the move, but sometimes it's becoming evident and we see. In this psalm, number one, the first thing that I want us to see is that God's rule is absolute. God's rule is absolute. Verse one says, the Lord reigneth. The Lord is king. Do you believe that tonight? The Lord God in heaven reigns from heaven. That means he's in charge. That means he has absolute control over absolutely everything. Now, is that the way our perspective always sees it? Do we always see that God's in control of everything? No. We can believe that, and that's what we want to encourage each other with tonight. But we don't. it doesn't always look like that, does it? Kind of like that sun and earth thing. Well, it sure doesn't look from here like God's in control. The Lord Jehovah God reigneth. God is king. He is the king. He is the one who reigns. And his rule is not just with power. It's not just that he has power to rule. But his rule is majestic. He's clothed with majesty and with glory. He rules over all things. Capital A-L-L. All things. God rules over nature. He rules over enemies. He rules over those who choose to obey Him and those who choose to disobey Him. He rules over angels. He rules over demons and devils. God rules over everything. His control over all things is absolutely certain. And it's absolutely certain all the time, 24-7. He is sovereign. Yet he deals with the different things that he controls differently. He deals with his sons and with his daughters differently than he deals with his foes. But he's in absolute control of all. Robert Hawker said, Oh, what a thought to comfort the mind under every event that may arise. You know, we need to keep our perspective here, don't we? When those events arise in our life, when those hurricanes start to come in, when those storms of life begin to, to, to brew and when things are happening that are shaking us up, we need to come back to passages like this, truths like this, 
and get our perspective right again. Wait a minute. God hasn't gotten off His throne. God's not one bit shaken. God is still in control. Oh, what a thought to comfort the mind under every event that may arise. Even great evil is under the reign and the control of God. Do you believe that? Even great evil, the worst event. If someone asks you tonight, what's the worst injustice that has ever been done on this earth? The answer would be the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the worst thing that's ever happened. Think about it. The most, the, the greatest injustice that's ever done. Now, we don't normally think about the worst thing that ever happened because it's the best thing that's ever happened, right? The most glorious thing. It's the greatest event. Boy, this is the lesson right here for us to learn. Think of this for a minute. You want to see the glory of God? The greatest place to go to see the glory of God is in the worst thing that's ever happened in this world. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That can give us perspective on our trials sometimes. In our problems sometimes. You know what, God? He is working. He's doing something. He's trying to show us something, if we'll have the right perspective, that other people will never see about himself. In the cross of Jesus, look what it says in Acts. We just studied Acts. In Acts chapter 4, the kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Look what the last part says. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. God was in control. In the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, God was in control of Herod. He was controlling Pilate. He was controlling the Gentiles. He was even controlling Judas. In absolute control, God never lost control of the situation for one minute. Jesus knew exactly what was happening, what was going to happen. Someone said even down to the behavior of the chickens. Right? Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. He had absolute control of everything. God, nothing was taking Jesus by surprise. Everything was in God's control. My point tonight is our perspective needs to continue to remain on this from the Word of God, that God's in control no matter what happens. It turned out differently for Peter than it did for Judas. It turned out differently for Herod and Pilate than it did for the apostles who were all scattered, yet God governs all things wonderfully. He knows what He's doing. God is legitimately, He's gloriously reigning and sovereign over all things. So back to our first point, God's rule is absolute in this world and in your world, in your life. God's rule is absolute. The Bible says there in verse 1 of Psalm 93, the Lord reigneth, he's clothed with majesty. He is majesty itself. He is infinite in majesty. Jehovah's reign is is complete throughout the heavens and the earth. There's not one single solitary place anywhere that is outside of God's control. Every atom in this universe is positioned by God, is determined by God. 
by Yahweh. Spurgeon said, Happy are the people among whom the Lord appears in all the glory of His grace, conquering their enemies and subduing all things unto Himself. Then indeed is He seen to be clothed with majesty. Clothed with majesty. Because He is clothed with strength, it says there in our verse, the Lord is clothed with strength. Wherewith he hath girded himself, the world also is established, that it cannot be moved. Because he is clothed with strength, the world is established. There are things down here on this earth that seem certain and fixed to us. The sun rises every morning. The planets have their rotations. There's oxygen to breathe. We're not all flying up. The gravity didn't leave last night. and We're all floating up in space. And These things are fixed. And the only reason they are is because we have a God who's clothed with strength, who holds all these things in his hands. This is our God. This is the one who reigns. Often uh, we get shaken, don't we? Hurricane Florence comes in and uh, until an earthquake happens, we think things are are settled and firm and secure. And yet many of them are. But the only only way we could count on anything being truly established in this world is because God is clothed with strength. He truly does got the whole world in his hands. He truly does. Spurgeon said, even the globe itself would fly through space if the Lord did not hold it in its appointed orbit. God. This is our God. This is the perspective that we need of our God. So this great God is in absolute control. God's throne, verse 2 says, Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. God's throne is ancient and eternal and everlasting because God is from eternal, is from eternity and He is everlasting. He is the immortal ruler. Jehovah God is in absolute control over the whole world. He is established only because of His great majesty and strength. However, verse 3, The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. There's a picture on the screen of some waves and the tempest in the sea, the tempestuous sea. The floods in Scripture, the tumultuous sea is an image, it's a picture. So much of the Old Testament, when we go back in the Old Testament, we see patterns. And certain things are pictures of certain things, and, and, and we see that pattern, and that's one way we study the Scriptures. And the seas are pictures of nations in the Bible. In Scripture, the tumultuous sea is an image of the nations and their rebellion against God. That's what this is a picture of. The floods have lifted up, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. And the nations in their rebellion, God's enemies... The rebellion against God, the uproar, the tumult, the rebellion of the nations is like the tumult of a great storm. These are the enemies of God that verse 3 is talking about. God reigns, but the floods lift up their voice. The waves lift up their voice against God. But, verse 4, what does verse 4 say? The Lord on high is what? The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. Yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. We hear, we see those mighty waves, the mighty uproar of the waves in the oceans. We think about this hurricane again. We keep bringing that up. It's just a great illustration. And and many of you saw the weather reports and the 
um, the things that took place. By the way, did you see that weather report from the Weather Channel where that girl was standing there? And in the studio, the water started rising up above her head. Did you all see that? Amazing technology that we have today to be able to see these things in real time. And if I was in a place like that and they were saying, get out, and then I saw that weather report, that would put a little fire behind me to go ahead and move, leave. Because she was showing right there what it would look like in a nine-foot storm surge coming down your street. You know, the waves are powerful, aren't they? The waters, when they rise up, they are mighty. That's a little illustration of, of, of a storm and the, the hurricane out there in that ocean, how big that thing was, the bands, how far out they went. We see these mighty storms, these oceans, this, this, these waves, and of course, we're talking about the enemies of God in this world. This is a picture of that, an illustration of that. But God is mightier than that. He's untroubled by the waves. God's not one bit worried about these floods rising up, these storms. Why, he walks on them. And he walks right through them. Remember the story in the New Testament? Of the one who walked on the stormy water and he spoke to the storm. And the Bible says, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water. And they, what? Obey him. In the book of Luke. Who is this? Jesus? The answer is found here. The answer is in the Old from the Old Testament is plain. Who has absolute control over all things? Jesus. He is the Lord. John 1 verse 3 says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, He is upholding all things by the word of His power. He by Himself destroyed sin, sat down on the right hand of the majesty of God on high. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. Point number two, God's rule is absolute. Our perspective needs to remember that. God's rule is absolute. And number two, God's testimonies are sure. Verse five, thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. What this God says, his testimonies, the one who has absolute control, who upholds the entire universe by his power and majesty and glory, can be absolutely trusted. Even when the waves are rolling, even when the, the storms of life are there and, and, and our perspective is getting shook, we can remember God's testimonies are sure. What he says is true and certain and should be paid attention to and listened to. And then number three, God's character is holy. Without sin, just and right. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. His character is holy and pure and good and right. God tells us in his word what he's up to. What he tells us is absolutely sure. His testimonies are sure. His character is holy. So his rule is absolute. His testimonies are sure. His character is holy. And we... And I think all of us in here tonight would agree, we are Christians who believe in these things. Amen? We gladly confess these things and believe these things. And let me stress the word gladly. The omnipotent power and goodness of God. We happily say these things are true. This is not something we need to be embarrassed about. The power and absolute authority and control of God is Glorious. It's majestic. 
It's good. It's not something to half-heartedly admit to. And you say, why would we be embarrassed about it? Why would we half-heartedly admit to it? The absolute power of God. Well, what if you told that to someone and they said, you mean to tell me Hurricane Florence comes in and destroys the North Carolina coast and destroys so many people's homes and kills people? That's absolutely good and beautiful? These are the kind of questions we're asked, aren't they? You mean my mother or father or my loved one died of cancer and suffered so long, and that's absolutely good and beautiful? What do we say in those kind of situations? Is God still in control? Is God still the one who's absolutely good and righteous and beautiful, and His rule is still absolute, and His testimonies are still sure, and His character is still holy? Yes. Yes. Even in those situations. Here's our problem. We've adopted the wrong way to look at these things. Our perspective is wrong. Our perspective too often is really humanistic. Even in Christianity. Our perspective is wrong. Who's at the center of everything? In my mind and in my heart and in my life. Is it truly God who's at the center? Or is it me and mankind at the center? We make humans the center instead of God. And His glory the center of everything. You know, that's what God wants us to do. To see the glory of God. To see Himself as the center of everything. Not us. Not humans. But boy, we fall into that trap, don't we? We put us at the center. Everything's about us. Everything revolves around humans. Everything revolves around me. Oh, no, 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 no. One of these days we're going to come to find out and learn. Everything doesn't revolve around me. Everything doesn't revolve around my family. Everything doesn't revolve around us humans. It all revolves around Him. And it's all about His glory. It's all about His honor. What is the, Dad mentioned this this morning, and when he mentioned it, I thought, man, that's, that's good. That goes right along with what we're talking about tonight. What is the end goal for the Christian? He asked that this morning. What would most people say? This is the end goal for the Christian. Why, the end goal is to get to heaven, right? That's the end goal. Going to cross that finish line. Going to cross Jordan. We're going to go to heaven. Is that the end goal for the Christian? That's a great goal. I want to go to heaven, don't you? That's not the end goal for the Christian. It's God. It's holiness. It's the glory of God being seen and shown forth in my life. That's the end goal for the Christian, to live for the glory of God. And you know, our flesh doesn't like that, does it? There's something about that. We, we agree with it. There's something about that we don't like it because we're pretty selfish people, aren't we? Listen, God needs to get our perspective right. Now, God knows the Bible teaches us, and how many times do we see over and over again that when people live this way, when they have their perspective right, God meets their needs. God makes them happier than they ever thought they could be because they got themselves off that throne. They're not the center of everything anymore. God's the center of everything. And they see the glory of God like nobody else can because their perspective is suddenly right again. There are times... We asked the question a minute ago. All these terrible things happen. Sin takes place and, and uh, bad things happen to good people and all of that kind of thing. 
And are there answers to these things? There are times when God says, Who art thou, O man? Right? God has said that. He says it in Romans chapter 9. He says it at the end of the book of Job. Who art thou, O man? To question this absolutely holy, righteous, eternal, majestic God. But God does give us answers. We all know what it's like to go through troubles. You know what it's like to go through troubles and heartaches, sometimes big troubles, sometimes small, medium, health, the death of a loved one, sometimes relationship issues, finances. And when we're confronted with troubles, here's the question that we can ask ourselves. This trouble that's come into my life, is it senseless or not? Is this senseless? This trouble that's come into my life? This hurdle that I have to cross? This thing that we're dealing with? Is there any sense to it? It either has a point or it doesn't have a point. It's all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of who I'm trusting or who I'm not trusting. It's all a matter of who's at the center and who's not at the center of everything. If God's power is over all things... And it is magnificent and it is majestic, as it says in this passage, Psalm 93. Then whatever happens, whatever happens, we can understand and be reminded that God is up to something. Right? God is doing something. God is working. We just said he's, His rule is absolute. His testimonies are sure. His character is holy. We can listen to Him. We can trust Him. And all that sounds good, doesn't it? It deserves an amen for preaching. Amen? I mean, well, I, we, we can stand up and proclaim it from the housetop. So when it comes down to it, <clears throat> do we really believe that? May God help us get our perspective right and realize it is true. God really does have a purpose for everything. God really is up to something. What would He be up to? Well, one thing we can definitely say is that he's up to making us more like Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches us. The road to becoming more like Jesus Christ often includes troubles. often includes hardships and things that we go through. But he's working to bring us into, the Bible says, conformity to the likeness of his son, the Lord Jesus. And he knows what he is doing and he knows how to do it. He hasn't lost control for one split second. He knows what he's doing. He's doing it in you. He's doing it in me. He's doing it in our lives. That is, if there's sense to it. If it's not senseless, then that's what is going on. The only alternative to that is that there's no sense to these troubles that I'm facing. No sense at all. Either your trouble has purpose to it or it doesn't have a purpose to it. If it does, trust God to bring that purpose to pass. If it doesn't have a purpose, then, well, we're all sorry. We just got caught in a big mess of things. We were unlucky. <laughs> and um, we just got to go along. What's the point? There's no point. Just got to deal with it, right? Isn't that sad? So many people's perspective. I just got caught up in the machinery of life. And I got to deal with it. But for the Christian who knows the truth of the Word of God and who knows this God and their perspective is right, God is going to resolve everything. you believe that? He's going to resolve everything. God has a point. 
for everything. These are basic truths we know, but it's good for us to go back and get our perspective right again. God's got a point. He knows what he's doing. We can certainly trust him. Sometimes we see what the point was in our trial immediately. Isn't that true? Sometimes we see some years later. Have you ever heard somebody give the testimony? One of the worst things that ever happened to me, I look back on it now, and I, I realize it's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Have you ever heard somebody give that kind of testimony? Maybe that's in your life. I look back on it now, and I, I couldn't see it then. My perspective was all messed up then, and, and God, I had to trust Him in that what God's trying to get us to do. And now I look back and I say, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Because God taught me so much through that, or whatever the testimony might be in our perspective. I now see the point. Other things, we will never see the point until eternity. There are some things in life, isn't that true? You'll never understand it this side, as we often say, this side of eternity. But there is a point to everything that happens because God can be trusted. And not only is there a point, but boy, you can take courage in knowing this. One day, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be majestic. Because everything God does is majestic and beautiful and good and right. Listen to this quote by Corey Ten Boom. She said, God has no problems, only plans. God has no problems, only plans. Things that throw us into panic, they don't throw God into panic. Things that we consider problems, they're not problems for God. There's never a situation, somebody said, I thought this was funny, there's never a situation that causes the angels in heaven to be running around yelling, Plan B, scramble, 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 hurry, plan B. That never happened in heaven. There's no plan B. God is not worried about anything. He has no problems, only plans. And we need that same perspective in our life. Here's another quote by Corey Ten Boom. Trusting God... And y'all know who Corey Ten Boom is, right? I didn't take time to explain that, but I think everybody knows who she is. Trusting God with all of our troubles is like living underneath the loom. <laughs> What's a loom? Some of you people here may not know what a loom is. I had to look it up too. Well, I know what a loom is, but I wanted to see one. And it's this contraption, of course, where somebody's on the top. They're making a beautiful what rug or tapestry on top of that loom and, and all those strings and all those things are coming together. But if you're living underneath the loom and you're up underneath it looking up, what do you see? Do you see something beautiful? No, you see all these strings of different colors and they're drooping down in knots and tangles. And isn't that like, as she said, trusting God sometimes with our troubles? Sometimes it's like living underneath the loom. And you look up and all you can see are those different knots and tangles hanging down and then when all is said and done, you're taken out from that and God shows you from the top the beautiful, beautiful, magnificent, majestic design that he's been working on all along. The tapestry. And if that's true, then you can trust him. I can trust him. He knows what he's doing. If it's not true, then let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Right? It's either true or it isn't. Thank God that he's on his throne. And that's true and splendid. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord, 1 Corinthians says. 
Now, God has laid all of this out for us. We live in a privileged time. I tell my kids this often as we're having devotions or we're reading Bible stories. And we really live in a privileged time. We look back. We, we can hold this in our hands and go back through thousands of years of history and accounts, historical accounts that God has given to us. Why? So we can have something to teach in a Sunday school class? Yeah, but for a purpose. Why do we teach it in a Sunday school class? Why do we teach these things to our children? Why do we come to church and open up this Word of God and learn about those who've gone before us so that we can understand this is how God works. This is who He is. Why even in the worst of circumstances, there was a boy who his father loved and he made him a special coat of many, coat of many colors and, and, he, and this boy, we don't have any record of him doing anything wrong and yet his brothers hated him. He was sold into slavery, into Egypt. They're going to, pay, they're going to kill him. Sold into slavery, went into Egypt as a young man. If you read that story and you, you, you read the whole thing and you hear about his cries that the brothers talk about later, how come we didn't listen to his cry? Can you imagine a young man being treated that way and then being sold into slavery into Egypt? We get used to these stories. And then being thrown into the dungeon, falsely accused. We could go on and on and on of the story of the life of Joseph. This is just one example. How many times he could have given up on God? How many times he could have said, Lord God, you are absolutely false. You don't know what you're talking about. I've tried to serve you. Look at me. But he didn't. According to the scriptures, he didn't. He kept the right perspective of Almighty God. And you know the end of the story. I know the end of the story. I go back and read it anytime I want. And that's just one case. God used that man tremendously. I mean, in ways he would have never been able to use him had he not submitted to that authority of God, got his perspective right again, and again, and again, and again. And look what God did with him. God wants to do the same thing through you and me. We could go to the life of David. We could go to Moses. We could go anywhere through the whole scripture. We went through the book of Acts and we saw these principles laid out for us. We have the privilege of seeing all this. Who he is, how he works. But often, isn't it true, as soon as the troubles arise in our life, all those Sunday school lessons evaporate. Isn't that true many times? We're human, right? The troubles come in my life. Now, that, wait, 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 that's, that's okay with Joseph. But this trouble is really bad in my life. And we forget that our perspective gets skewed. And we must get our focus back again on these truths, on these truths. How often has God shown us these truths? One of the things, let me mention this and, and we'll close this out here in a second. One of the things that throws us with our perspective takes us back to verse um, 3. Unbelievers, the floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. Unbelievers, again, this verse is, is describing, it's an object lesson of the rebellious nations against God who boast, who brag, who blaspheme to the God of heaven. These people, though, are nothing. And that's another way, another area that we need to get our perspective right again. To us, our perspective can be skewed. And these people in this world who are against God, who hate God, to us, they can be downright scary, frightful. Just like a storm. Just like the roar of the waves. And those waves 
And those tempests and those hurricanes, they don't seem empty to us. They seem to threaten to sink us, to drown us as God's people. But the promises of God, someone said, are like the massive rocks that the waves beat against. That's the famous rock of Gibraltar, the prudential insurance symbol is this rock. I found this picture. I thought, man, that's pretty majestic looking, isn't it? And you picture those waves down there. They roar. They come up. They throw their mist in their spray. And they hit that rock. And they knock it over, right? They They crushes it. Oh, no. That rock doesn't even notice. Psalm 2 says it laughs. Sits in the heavens and laughs. You know, we, we need to remember this in our perspective, don't we? Those waves can shake us up. Those waves can look pretty scary at times. But the promises of God are like the massive rocks that the waves beat against. When the waves meet the rocks, the waves lose every time. The mighty roar is turned into the misty spray. Our God is a rock. I thought it was really cool this morning. Our bulletin has this very verse on it. And let me pull the verse up on the screen here. Deuteronomy 32.4, He is the rock. He is the rock. His work is perfect. Did you hear that? His work is what? How much of His work? All of it. All of it in your life? All of it in my life? All of it's perfect. He's the rock. For all His ways are judgment and God of truth, without iniquity, just and right is He. And if He allowed it into my life, He's still just. He's still right. He's without iniquity. His judgments are truth. His work is perfect. Our God is the rock. And the rebellions of men ebbing and flowing like the waves is not something God's worried about at all. Verse 4 again says, The Lord on high is mightier than the noises of man. So, let's pull an example out here. The Supreme Court of the United States of America says that men can marry men. Why? The Supreme Court says that. Nine mortals on the justice, on the benches of the Supreme Court made a decision. Their word has come forth. And they have said, men can marry men. Do they say that? Yes or no? They do. They have. This decision was made by men, every last one of them, in the process of dying. Someone said, they will utter wisdom. They will utter greatness. Men can marry men. And what are they? Augustine said this quote, the dead are replaced by the dying. That's humanity. The dead are replaced by the dying. Man is missed. The floods have lifted up, oh Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. And man is going to overturn God's rule? God rules from heaven. What he has ruled and established is fixed. And he's established things like marriage. (laughs) He has said this is what marriage is. And man isn't going to change that. That's just one example. It is what he rules it is, not what man says it is. When men declare war against the God of heaven, you know what it means? Nothing to God. 
It means nothing to him. Again, this is our perspective. We've got to get our perspective right. The waves roar. Why the mist is blowing. God is the rock. It's like a gathering, someone said, a gathering of fruit flies going to war against the fortresses of heaven. There's no threat. There's no threat against God. The throne of God's dominion is infinitely greater and out of range. The throne of God's dominion cannot be touched by anything a Supreme Court ruling does or an executive order from some president says or anything that we could do. Why, a man could gather together a great army. He could gather together two or three great armies and put them all together with all the nuclear technology in the world and could do absolutely nothing against this God of heaven who sits in the heavens. And the Bible says he laughs at those fruit flies, who think they're going to do something against it. Boy, we need to fix our minds, don't we? Fix our perspective and remember this. Remember this is the God that we serve, the God in the heavenly places. When we have the right perspective, we will do things like lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. We'll realize as we have that perspective right again that everything, the puzzle begins to be put back in place, doesn't it? We begin to see things for what they really are. So let me end with this. This does not mean, we've heard the phrase, he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. What does that mean? So heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. That means that we were never truly heavenly minded at all, if that's the case. So heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, those that have their minds fixed in the heavenly places, who have their perspective right, as we're talking about tonight, those who see God for who he truly is, and they're laying up that heavenly treasure, are actually the ones who are doing the most earthly good. We have to remember that. Okay, It doesn't mean we, we bury our heads as dad often says in the sand, grab our can of pork and beans, run to the hills. That's not what God's telling us to do. We have the right heavenly perspective, the right view of God. Our minds are in the heavenlies, and in doing that, if it's actually true, we're doing the most earthly good. We're not going to be distracted by the waves that are roaring, the mist that's blowing. We're not going to be lied to. We're not going to be disoriented because our mind is fixed on the rock. We will not be moved because we're standing on the rock. We will say, God is in heaven. Christ is on his throne. Amen. I am his servant. He's my master, master clubs. I'm going to love my wife with all my heart. Be submissive to my husband. Bring up my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm going to work hard in my job and be the best Christian on my job that I can be, not as a man pleaser, but as unto the Lord. I'm going to do what God sets before me to do in this world and trust Him for the consequences because my life isn't senseless. Whatever comes, whatever happens, I'm going to do what God wants me to do in this world and watch Him use me in this world. And I'm not going to bow and I'm not going to bend. And in love, we're going to give the truth because God is on His throne. And it's not senseless at all. He's got a point for everything that he's doing. We can trust him. We can trust him. Why God, our pastor said this morning, knows the hairs on our head. He knows the sparrows that fall from the sky into the ground. Nothing happens without the knowledge of God. And you are of more value than many sparrows, the Bible teaches us. Nothing is senseless. But I have to know. 
I have to know right now what the sense is. I have to have the control. Isn't that something we struggle with? God, I've got to have control of this. Give me the control. You don't want that. Because then it would be senseless. God is in control. Perspective. We can trust Him to have control of the wheel. But God, there's sin in the world. Yes, but God perfectly controls the world, even those who are sinning and those who want to obey Him in the midst of this world. So God's control is not what's up for debate. The question is our perspective. The sun is sitting still up there in the sky. That's not up for debate anymore. I mean, I guess people could debate that. They're saying the world's flat, right? There are people that are actually debating if the world's round or not. Okay, well, we could debate these things, but that's, that's not up for debate anymore. Um, God is in control. The question is, will we understand this, remember it, fix our perspective, let it be a blessing to us, and taste and see that the Lord is good. And what we can't see, trust Him for how good it's going to be when we do see that tapestry. I'm under the loom, and all I see many times are the knots. But, as the song says, farther along, we'll what? Know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand that.